What's going on, guys? Back for another episode. This is Chris Mead, your host of My Biggest Lessons. I got a new friend here, Emmanuel Storch, founder and CEO of Blackbird Foods. What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on, man. So I, I found out about Blackbird a few weeks ago, actually. Fastest growing pizza brand on the planet? Is that a, is that Well, so? in the US. So this is according to Spins Data, which is a data pulled from all the like natural grocery chains in the US. We just found out in the past 52 weeks, we've grown 70% in the past year versus all the other brands on the market. That's amazing. And that, that's for all pizza. That's all like Elio's, that's DiGiorno's, yeah. that's everybody. It's all pizza sold in that set of stores, whether they're plant-based or not. That's amazing. And so obviously you guys are plant-based. Talk me through that, right? Give me the inception story. And then also I want to know, obviously it's plant-based pizza, but what goes into making it taste so good? What, what plants specifically? <laughs> yeah. So our company and all of our products, what we set out to do is to make restaurant quality products for both restaurants and retail that just happen to be plant-based, right? So we want to make the best frozen pizza, the best plant proteins that really have a restaurant quality and don't have to sacrifice by cutting out chicken or whatever from your diet or, yeah. or conventional pizza from your diet, something that you, you can actually add in, in terms of enjoyment. So our pizzas are all hand tossed, made with overnight rising dough. We use our own in-house made topping. So one of our product lines is a plant-based meat called seitan. It's a wheat protein that's super versatile. We can make, we make plant-based sausage out of it. We're now going to be launching wings in the coming months. So that's what we use on our pizzas. In addition to just fresh ingredients, we make it here in New York city. So we don't use any co-packers, which is pretty unusual in the food space. And that's really what makes our pizzas pretty good. That's amazing. We got to get yeah. Dave Portnoy do a review yet or no? <laughs> Okay, well, there's a long Dave Portnoy story I can tell too another time, but uh, I once kind of snuck onto his roof to try to get him to review our pizzas and he denied it, but <laughs> that's a story for another time. <laughs> Word. That's amazing though. Yeah. How, did you, how did you get started? Was it a crazy idea? Was it you, you only eat vegan, you need something different? Yeah, so we have actually a number of founders and Blackbird who are all chefs, plant-based chefs and restaurateurs here in New York and Philly. And we actually started because we developed a way of making this plant protein seitan that resulted in a super meaty and versatile product. We actually got started with that before pizza even. We developed what looks like a plant-based brisket or a flank that we started selling to tons of restaurants here in New York. Now it's over 300 that have been using the plant-based meat to make everything from chicken wings to steaks and cutlets and sausages that really got our business off the ground and really proved ourselves as this restaurant quality plant-based brand. That's amazing. So just to, to paint the full picture, right? So you guys are selling direct to stores, you're selling direct to consumer on your website, right? Correct. Yep. And then you also, you're co-packing, so you're, you're producing everything in-house in New York City yeah. and then shipping within hours or days, I'm assuming. So it's still fresh and still good to all these places, right? Yeah, most of our sales now is through retail grocery. So 60% of our business is selling to 
distributors, which then sell it to Whole Foods and all those chains <laughs> out there. Yeah, and yeah. then the other part of our business is selling direct to restaurants. And then a small percentage is D2C off our website where we're just shipping direct on dry ice. Cool. Makes sense. I don't know if you know too much about my background, but I sell direct yeah. to retail too. One of my bigger challenges, right, was we finally land these big ass accounts, right? You got your product into Whole Foods and then crickets. Nobody's mm-hmm. buying the pizza, right? How, how from your point of the world, are you getting customers to go into the store and pick it up, especially when you're not getting the direct feedback of, hey, I spent money on Facebook today or I spent yeah. money here. I'm not seeing direct to consumer sales. Mm-hmm. How are you then making that attribution? And it also, what are you doing to drive through or sell through? Yeah. There's a couple things. I mean, in food, the lucky thing is, is that you can demo. So these grocery stores, you have to pay for it, of course, but you can have samples of your product out and send members of your team out there. And the goal there is make sure people try your product, get instant feedback, sell it to them, tell them why yours is better than everything else. And that's how a big way we've been able to drive trial at the retail level. Also, instead of putting dollars into like digital ads where you can only see the product, but you might not even be near a store to go buy it. Focus those dollars on in-store promotions and marketing where the foot traffic and consumers actually in the retail location can have lower the barrier for them to buy the product and try it out themselves. So those are the two main things that we've done to drive trial. Okay. I want to get back to the demos in a second because I have a few few questions about that. Sure. But when you're thinking about the in-store marketing, are you allocating like a percentage of the PO back into the store? Do you guys start mm-hmm. 2022 with, hey, we're willing to allocate $25,000 to Whole Foods, $15,000 to Kroger? Like, How are you yeah. thinking about that? We think of it on a percentage basis. So especially in food, it's pretty typical, at least as an earlier stage brand, to allocate at least 20% to trade spend. So that's yeah. off of gross PO amount. So if you can allocate 20% to trade spend, which is making sure your product is on promotion or have off-shelf placement, things like that, that's how we think about those. That's interesting, bro, because like yeah. I'm at in sporting goods, I'm at five or 6% and I'm bitching about five or 6%. <laughs> so here 20 is Food space crazy. is so expensive. Yeah, it is expensive to operate in this space for sure. And so when you're Cutting them 20%, Jesus Christ, that's crazy. When you're cutting them 20%, what are you getting for that money? What kind of options do you have for marketing in inside the store? I mean, the main thing is it really depends on the category, but for us, it's the price. So making your price more competitive. I mean, when you offer a discount $2 off a of pizza or whatever, the tag is going to be yellow. It's going to be in their face. It's going to call out to the consumer. That it's That on its own, if you can just offer some sort of discount so that there's extra tags on the shelf. That's a big thing. If you're in a non-perishable item or like a shelf-stable item, you can ask for off-shelf placements. So when I was in my last company, which was Simply Gum, a chewing gum company, we would set up like off-shelf displays, so full end caps of the product that really captures more consumers' attention. And the only way you could get those is if you were offering promos and things like that. So that's really how we've been going about it. Makes sense. How do you think about discounting? Because we're all digital, digital first brands to some extent in 2022. Mm-hmm. And there's this whole idea out there that some people hate discounting, some people love it. Like from a food perspective, do you ever worry that people will think of you guys more as a, a discount and cheap right. brand because you're always on promo or? 
I mean, we so we do quarterly promos. It's four times a year. Honestly, I don't think so. I mean, I think for e-commerce, that's definitely might be an issue because people might be waiting for things. If you know you're going to get a, a promo code in the next month yeah. or so, you can wait. But when you're grocery shopping, I think especially these days, people always want to have buy food with the better deal. So yeah, I, I think it's less of an issue in the actual brick and mortar space. Okay. Makes sense. So name of the show, my biggest lessons, right? Yeah. I want to hear some horror stories rolling out to retail. <laughs> some of the demos, like what are some things that you look back on and in the early stage demos, you're like, why the fuck did we do it like this? Well, give me something. Yeah. Well, there's a few things. One is for our Satan product, which is our plant-based protein. The first way we tried to demo it at a trade show was to make like individual sliders for everyone. Cause we're like, oh, we're going to have a line out off our booth. Everyone's going to want to get a barbecue slider and that'll be great. However, we didn't really think of the logistics around what you need to make sliders for like thousands of people at a trade show so that was like that was a big we don't do that we keep it simple now for that sampling i would say like in the early days when i'm just like starting out you don't even know where to spend your time you're kind of just throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks i was literally walking around new york with a backpack an ice pack and samples in my backpack to different restaurants and and just like wandering the streets, like trying to figure out how to sell this stuff, how to get it off the ground. And for entrepreneurs who are starting off, everyone has their own journey, but it's definitely important to think through like, who are your customers going to be? Like, how are you going to target them? How are you going to get in front of them? Those were the, the harder days when like, you're just on your own and just wandering, <laughs> essentially wandering the streets, trying to figure out like how to sell the product. When you kind of were envisioning the early days, like who your ideal customers are, are they the same people that they actually are today? I mean, at the beginning, we were definitely focused on the vegan shopper. But right now, our goal is really to be more mass appealing. We make pizzas. We're about to launch plant-based chicken wings in a couple of months. Like we want to be the best product in the overall category that anyone can enjoy and not just vegan. So our core consumer, I think, will always be the hardcore or like diehard plant-based eaters, but we definitely want to grow that into more, you know, flexitarians and people who are more adventurous as well. And now a word from our sponsor, Gorgeous. Gorgeous helps deal with seasonality. Even though we sell a lot of crossnets during the summer, we're still always slammed during Black Friday, Cyber Monday. So with Gorgeous, we could actually scale our customer support team and triage the important tickets, like the ones from the retail stores. But you can't just build out a system like this for two months. So Gorgeous actually gives us unlimited users. So if the customer support team needs to tag me in, I can quickly jump in or billing or finance. We all can. We can also connect with other partners to get involved and be key decision makers all throughout Gorgeous's tech. It's hard enough to get a customer to come to your site. Don't lose them because you're not using Gorgeous to handle your customer support. There's a link somewhere around here and you can click and sign up for free. Cool. No, that makes complete sense, Ben. I mean, like we even saw that with CrossNet when I started. I thought it yeah. was going to be all dudes like us, right? In our 20s, out at the beach. And it's turned into moms and dads. Those are the people yeah. who have 150 bucks. And we've had to transform our marketing. It's not a, yeah. it's not as fun and exciting sometimes <laughs> when I'm building ads for parents. But you got to chase the money and what, what keeps your business alive. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard that from a lot of brands. I've never talked to a brand actually that's selling on like a getter or one of those delivery apps. Like how in- impactful is that actually? Is that moving the needle in any way? 
Yeah, I mean, Getter is a great partner for us. I think that is pretty much the future of grocery is these kind of quick, especially in cities like New York, where I live, you don't have a lot of storage space. It's a huge hassle to go stand in line at a grocery store here and carry heavy bags back to your apartment. And if you live in a walk up, you're going up like five flights of stairs. So they have these new kind of quick delivery, 15 minute delivery apps that Yeah, a ton of people are using them and adopting them. It's a pretty interesting business model. I hope it sticks around. I think there's definitely been some growing pains for them in terms of how to make it profitable. But for us, it's a great way to get to consumers. And for me personally, as a customer, I love it because you can order something and get it in 20 minutes. That makes sense. And do they buy from you at wholesale or is it like they pick it up? How how does that work? Yeah, most of them just work as traditional grocery retailers. So they'll purchase from distributors that okay. we sell the product to. And those distributors will just deliver it to all their locations. So the way their model works is they have a ton of small retail fronts in the city, like in every neighborhood. And you can't go and shop there, but that's where they're delivering the product out of. So that that's okay. where they'll get it delivered. Yeah. Do you think it's good for every brand to be on there? Or do you think you need to be at a certain inflection point where getting onto one of these apps is actually helpful? Yeah, I think it. that's a good question. I mean, I think it's good for probably almost any brand. If you have a heavy product, they might not be willing to carry it because it's not for like bulk items and things like that. But if you're trying to get your, your brand out there and, and just get more points of distribution, it's a great way to do it. Okay. And speaking about getting your brand out there... How did Whole Foods come around? How did those brands come get you guys? Yeah, how do we get into Whole Foods? There's a number of ways. Whole Foods is an interesting model. They're both regional and national. So you can go to regional buyers at Whole Foods and or you can go to their national buying office where they have the power to put you in all their regions. For us, we've started with two regions being uh, New York, which is Northeast, which is our local region. So they have a local buyer here in in New York that's just looking for locally made products. So we were able to partner up with them, which is awesome, and get our products into all the New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut stores. And then we also launched in the Southwest, which is the Texas region of Whole Foods, and that's where their headquarters are. So luckily, we've gone into those two regions, and then you just have to build in or build out your expansion with them and every year continue to prove to them that you're growing, that the product's doing well, and then the goal is to have them expand you into more regions from there. Did you guys raise a bunch of money for this? Or like, where are you learning all these like skills and and this knowledge? Because like, it's a lonely and scary world. And I'm sure there's so many listeners that are like either trying to grow a food product or get their product into retail. Like, where are you going to for your advice? Great questions. Prior to this, I was at a company called Simply Gum, which is a natural chewing gum company. Today, they're in Walmart and Target and Whole Foods and Publix, all those stores. That's where I got my start. We were it was basically the founding team. We were making this product by hand. That was back in the day when you could actually go to a Whole Foods location and sell them one store at a time. You can't really do that anymore. Oh, wow. That's like how I got learned everything myself. How do distributors work? How does marketing with a retailer work? How do you get your product from the manufacturing site to the store? That's where my foundation comes from. We've done a little bit of fundraising, but I think like in terms of who you hire on your team, find people who are passionate about the product, passionate about the the space that you're operating in. And don't be afraid to figure things out on your own. I think 
everyone thinks there's some expert out there who's going to you can hire or like a third party agency who's going to do magic for you. But the truth is no one knows your brand as well as you do. And have confidence in your abilities in that. And that's what's going to shine through, I think, to the consumer and all your buyers. Like we in the past, recent past, like we were looking for a photographer and food stylist to shoot our new product line for us. And we're getting quotes for like things that are way out of our budget. We'd rather spend that on other things, on marketing to consumers, things like that. You know, one of our team members is a does like photography for fun. And we just went to the rooftop of our building, put out some wings that we were making, did some like food styling ourselves, took some pictures and it came out better. You know, we saved probably like $20,000 by not having to work with a third party. So that, yeah, that would be my biggest advice to, to new entrepreneurs. I love it, dude. And it's also like, it resonates with these times now that getting funding's more challenging, challenging than ever after yeah mm-hmm. after it's all kind of dried up but it's like a lot of these brands felt like before they couldn't do those photo shoots unless they spent 20 grand or yeah. they didn't do the billboard campaign like it's so stupid like you got to get back to so the stupid. basics and yeah. try to build the brand off of like a shoestring budget yeah. get the most for every dollar absolutely like we were getting quotes for a brand designer for like over a hundred thousand dollars you know we didn't raise that kind of money at yeah. first so it's find a local artist who is going to charge you 5% of that and have them design your packaging like that. You're going to get a way more authentic brand with, with someone like that. And just like a much more enjoyable kind of authentic experience than you would from just a large agency. Absolutely. I think it's a, it, it goes to say like you can negotiate everything and there's never going to be one person that's perfect for the job, right? I'll give you a mm-hmm. good example. We were just interviewing a candidate and he comes back and he wants $600 an hour. Oh my and God. I'm like, what, are you a doctor? <laughs> it would have been a great fit, right? But there's no chance I'm, I'm accepting yeah. that. Or I'm like, it's an 80, 90K role, right? Like a medium-sized marketing role. Yeah, like, yeah. It's not a $400,000 position. Yeah. So like, you got to say no to these people. You got to negotiate. There may be an agency that costs you 7,500. If your budget's only four grand, stick to your budget. Yeah. Because if you make these stupid decisions, the overpay and overhire, like it's going to fuck yourself in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, some of those people like who are might call themselves more veterans in the industry who do have a lot of experience, like they're probably not the best for your brand either, because they know how to sell an existing product, maybe or market an existing product, but they don't know, they might not know how to do something from scratch, or they might have just been managing their own agencies, like yep. their parties, their whole career. So yeah, definitely. I would agree with that. <laughs> you need a grinder, man. You need somebody to roll up the sleeves, yeah. be able to do a little bit of everything. And when you start to hire these people that want to be hands off and manage in a startup, when you're eight employees deep, mm-hmm. that's when start. That's when you make the wrong hires. Yeah, You need people that are not going to say no. It's not mm-hmm. like you're bullying them to do work, but they need to be able to do a little bit of everything. Yeah, absolutely. Our motto is no task is too big or too small. I'll be in our facility one day, just like packing up boxes and orders. And the next hour I'll be running home to join a meeting with a buyer. So uh, yeah, it's definitely a principle. Everyone on your, on your team as like a small team should definitely body. Anything you've learned from like the product expansion, right? Because the one thing we always hear as founders is like, how do we elevate LTV? How do we put out new products? Do you feel like you've done 
too much too soon? Do you wish you would have waited on some of the products? Tell me, tell me a little bit about that. Not, I mean, I'd say the type of product is something that we've, now that we're innovating more, that's what we're thinking more about. So our first product line, which I mentioned was, is Seitan or plant-based meat which is wheat-based, yep. that is something that works super well selling to restaurants. So like that's 40% of our business selling that product to restaurants. Okay. But that same product might not be the best application for a retail consumer. Like it, it requires some education. It's something they're less familiar with. It's a new kind of like plant-based meat. There's so many new products. They're all sort of imitating a burger or, or a nugget. And so that's one of the reasons we're launching Wings now is because it's clear consumers want something that's, or they're going to buy something they're way more familiar with. And that's way more just like understandable to them. So having to like go out and educate when you don't have a ton of a huge budget to do that. That's like where I would say we've learned our lessons is like stick to things that people are familiar with and are going to buy and just make it the best out of all the other products in the category. I love that, man. Such a good lesson. I appreciate you jumping on today. If anybody wants to pick up Blackbird food, where, where should they go? Where's the best store? Yeah, check out the retail map on our website. We're launching in Target next month. Check it out there. Check it out at Whole Foods, the Fresh Market. We're in tons of stores across the country. So check out the retail map on our website. That's amazing, dude. Congrats yeah. on everything. Looking forward to picking up some myself and uh, yeah. we'll stay in touch. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. All right, brother. Peace. So that's another episode of My Biggest Lessons. Each and every week, I'll be having one of my favorite entrepreneurs come on, share their stories, their mistakes, the things they wish they knew. Entrepreneurship's a lonely road, right? You only learn by getting better. You only learn by making mistakes. So I want them to come on, share their stories. If you have somebody in mind that you want on, drop a comment, subscribe, share with a friend. Let's get the best people in the world on here. Thanks for listening.